The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Anytime we talk about Ezekiel Elliott and his contract and his performance, there's one specific viewer who will send hostile, profane, nasty emails because we are the ones that this person blames for Ezekiel Elliott having a down year because we encouraged him, Chris, to hold out. And as we were talking about it today, I thought, you know what? I bet I'm going to have a fresh email from this guy who hate watches the show. And I did. So good morning, Vince. We hear you. We see you. And we appreciate you watching, even though you think you hate us. You know you can't live without us. Interesting graphic suggesting that Chris Sims is actually Vince. And I know that it's impossible that Chris Sims is our friend Vince who sends me hostile and profane email messages because there are too many words spelled correctly in the emails I get from Vince. So it cannot be Sims. By the way, Vince was happy that he watched yesterday. He actually sent me a non-profane email saying, you are right, I was wrong, I thought Barkley was eligible for a new contract because Vince is a huge Cowboys fan. He blames us for Ezekiel Elliott's poor performance last year because we were responsible solely and exclusively for Ezekiel Elliott holding out, and we were responsible for Elliott not being in peak shape after the holdout, and we were responsible for Elliott not playing as well last year as he has in past years. So it's all our fault, Chris. He wanted, as Vince did, to be – to be doing the same thing to the Giants and Saquon Barkley, but now Vince stands corrected. Vince, i.e. Sims, stands corrected because Saquon Barkley is not yet eligible for that second contract. So good morning, Vince. I mean, Chris. Good morning. That's that's a good fan, though, there. I mean, you know, he's first off, we're very powerful, uh, at least through Vince's eyes, which I'm down with that. But uh, it's kind of cool how he wants the Giants to ruin their own salary cap situation. He wants us to help out you know, stoke the fire to get Saquon Barkley more money to ruin their football team or put them in a tough spot. That's true fandom right there. So diehard Cowboy fan. Vince, what's up? You're good with me, Vince. Keep sending those hate emails to Florio. I don't even know his email, but get him. Get all over him. Tell him to get a haircut. Yeah, look, 
Vince has never need in, needed encouragement. You know, I probably am eligible to go get a haircut now. I just don't want to. Why? I, I don't go, want to. Do no, something, please. I, 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 you know what? I kind of like it. It's getting a little shaggy. It's proven to the world to look that it's like not Macy. a toupee. You're starting to look like your That's dog. Good. It's the same coloring Macy's, there. <laughs> Macy's cute. I'll go with that. Actually, uh, yeah, Macy Macy got, tr- uh, you know, we've been t- keeping her hair short, but I, I won't let any scissors near this. For now, we'll we'll just let it grow and see see if it stops. I think eventually, at some point, it'll just stop, won't it? Doesn't I, it just I stop at so. some point? I you yeah. know you never know though. You got those good Italian jeans. You got a great full head of hair. Who knows? Maybe you could grow your hair out to like your idol uh, kiss band there and get it really long and just hey, see where it goes. You know, I mean, what the hell? If I'm ever gonna do it, I may as well do it now, right? I, I'm, right. I'm the guy at the uh, at the craps table on the hot streak. I'm just gonna let it ride. All right, let's let it ride into this Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Hello to our friends in the UK and Ireland. I don't say hello to you often enough seeing the show live on Sky Sports, not having to wait for the tape delay, not getting the benefit of any of Chris's inappropriate words being bleeped out. If he says it, you're going to hear it in real time. And Chris, that is not an invitation for you to cross the line, although we're still not quite sure where the line is as it relates to some of the words that are prohibited in the lexicon in the UK and in Ireland. But nevertheless, here we go. All right, Big Ben is back. He's gotten a haircut, Chris. He's gotten a haircut, and he's gotten a shave. He was looking like a rugged mountain man Yukon Cornelius (laughs) not that long ago. And this is very recent. He was throwing with his guys, and then he decided after the throwing session, because he said he's not going to shave until he throws a legit NFL pass, he believes it was a legit NFL pass that was thrown to the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. So Big Ben is now clean-shaven with short hair. The elbow is healed, he believes, and he's ready to go for 2020. That's one of the stories that's been overlooked throughout the pandemic and the run-up to the draft and free agency. And there's just this vague sense that Ben Roethlisberger's in the early days of breaking down as he gets closer to 40. Jake Laser stepped into a hornet's nest a few weeks ago suggesting that the Ben Roethlisberger offseason workout plan is a far cry from Tom Brady's. I mean, look, it's the truth. Has anyone ever accused Ben Roethlisberger of eating avocado ice cream? So uh, I I think it makes sense to see what kind of shape he's in, is the elbow healed, and was last year, Chris, just the first step in what could be a gradual breakdown of the body of a guy who really hasn't taken the kind of care of his body that a a Tom Brady or other high-end quarterbacks have. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a legitimate question by us, Jay Glazer, anybody. I mean, hey, we we respect Big Ben. I know you think he's underrated. I do, too. I mean, he's a hell of a football player. We know that. He's a huge difference maker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, Mike, I mean, you're saying it. This is not a guy that I think is going to go down in the record books for, like, you know, off-season workout regimens or, you know, off-season workout diet plans. You can see that. I mean, it, it doesn't take a fool or a dummy to look at Ben Roethlisberger and go, well, his body doesn't look exactly like Tom Brady's or Drew Brees. No. You know, I think they have a different approach to their offseason. You know, I found out from Big Ben a little last year. It sounds like in the offseason, he kind of lets his body rest. He's just a dad. He, you know, stays in somewhat shape, but it's not going to, like, dictate his day on a daily basis. He's not going to throw a ton of footballs. But either way... You know, if the elbow's healed, I know Big Ben can throw the football. I know that. But I think the body is a big question. I do. You know, and again, 
unlike Brady and Breeze, too, where we got to give Big Ben a lot of credit, he took a beating for about a seven or eight year period of his career. And I, you know, I think we all have kind of forgotten that here sitting in 2020 right now, but Mike, I know you, you lived there close to Pittsburgh and those late, you know, 2009, 2010, 11, 12. I mean, he took a beating as a quarterback and, you know, played through injuries. And I think all of that is kind of catching up to him a little bit right now, but I would think he's got a year or two of good play left in him at least. I don't think people give him enough credit for the beating he took because he's had that reputation of a guy who embellishes his injuries and exaggerates his injuries, right? There's always been that little hint, that little extra where, you know, oh, my arm, it's broken, but maybe it is broken. I I mean, and, and that's the thing, even if there's any little extra that he adds to it for sympathy or for pride or honor or look at what I'm trying to gut out or maybe you'll appreciate me more if I can't play for the key drive of a key regular season game, whatever the case may be. It doesn't change the fact that he has had the crap beat out of him over the past 15 years. And he is a throwback in a lot of ways. I mean, you've got these quarterbacks who are like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky Four without the steroids, but you know, like <laughs> basically created in a laboratory, and everything is measured out to the droplet of hydration and and nutrition and and exercise. And Roethlisberger's just showing up and saying, "Oh, here I am. It's football season. Give me the ball. Let's go play." And and there's a charm to that. I think we should embrace that. We should. I don't know why we. I, I, I look and and I know he's had off field issues that make him less sympathetic, but I, I don't know sure. why we don't appreciate more the fact that this guy is different from all of the other older quarterbacks out there in that he really is like a quarterback out of the seventies or the eighties. Who's just going to, who's going to say in the off season, ah, I'll, I'll be ready for football when football comes and really doesn't spend all the time getting ready. And then when he's, when he's ready to go, he's ready to go. And he does what he has to do to get ready for week one. Well, you know, I think you, you hit on a lot of things that kind of like cloud his image a little bit. You know, one, uh, you're right. He's got he had an old school style of play of football. And yeah, he looks like a guy that was like, you know, oh, I'm going to go out here and throw some footballs and I'm going to drink a beer and then I'm going to go eat one of those Roethlisberger sandwiches when it's over and just enjoy the night. You know, he does look like one of those guys. And, you know, to Mike, what you're saying, he's a little bit of a diva. There's no doubt. You're right. He likes to let everybody know when something's banged up and, He's not afraid to, you know, show the cameras, hey, I got an issue here. And I think he lets it known in in the locker room and things like that. But you got to respect the play. There's no doubt, like you said. This guy that's been to three Super Bowls, he won two of them. I know he won one of them. It wasn't like glorious stats or anything like that. But either way, he had years of carrying a, a Pittsburgh Steelers football team that was really poor on the offensive line, uh, had no running game. And he played with a throwback style of play where, you know, it was in the pocket. It was kind of backyard football within the pocket. And he'd have people all over him. And, I, I, hey, listen, I'll never forget the year they went to the Super Bowl and Rex Ryan with the Jets, who had just upset the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, said, you know, we, had a, we were okay with them. But, man, Big Ben, he gave us more problems than anybody because of his ability to stay in the pocket and scramble and do things off schedule. So, yeah, we can't forget the greatness of what is Big Ben and let it be clouded by some of the off the field or other stuff that's gone on. 
Yeah, that was 10 years ago, the Steelers' last Super Bowl appearance. The Patriots have had something to do with the Steelers not being back over the course of the last decade. The Steelers continue to be a very competitive team. And heading into 2020, and this is one of my observations. It's a narrative that is held up year after year. I've lived most of my life in and around Pittsburgh. And when the expectations are high for the Steelers, really ever since the, the end of their their Super Bowl runs in the 70s where they won four championships in six years. In the 80s, the 90s, last decade and now, when the expectation's high, they fail to meet it. When the expectations are low or just like really vague or like, ah, it's just, that's when they end up having a great year. And I think this year the expectations are in that kind of like, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what they're going to be. They were bad last year in large part because they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger for 14 games, but with no Le'Veon Bell, with no Antonio Brown, with the Ravens looking as good as they are, with the Browns possibly maybe finally getting it right, with the Bengals now having the promise of a Joe Burrow, where do the Steelers really fit into this, Chris? And I think that this plays right into their hands because – they, they still have plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. The defense has sneakily and quietly gotten better and better and better. It was the weakness of that team for a long time. I remember talking to Ike Taylor about that where, you know, it's, it's a far cry from the 90s where it was all defense and no offense. Now it's all offense and no defense. Well, the, no, the defense has gotten better. And now the question is, can the offense hold up its end of the bargain? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean that's that is the question of the football team. There's a you know the defense, the, you know, to what you're saying is special. I mean it is to play the way they played towards the second half of the year last year, or really the whole year, and know that hey, each week we got to go out there and defense, we got to win the football game, or we got to keep teams, you know, somewhere around twenty or below for our offense that had no identity last year to win. So I look at the defense as being NFL elite, special. You know, the scheme, the front seven, special. They did lose Javon Hargrave. That stinks. The secondaries got better. The offense is interesting. There's questions. There's potential. There's a little bit of everything there. We got questions about, yeah, Big Ben Roethlisberger. You know, is Juju Smith-Schuster as good as we really thought he was without Antonio Brown? Can some of these young receivers, you know, like James Washington and Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool truly contribute to the football team this year? Do they have a difference maker at running back? I really like the kid they drafted out of Maryland, Anthony McFarland. He's kind of like a Philip Lindsay type out of Denver. So it's similar there. But as you know, yeah, there's a lot of good things we say there, but you got to go out and do it. So the potential is there, but it's kind of a young, unproven group. And now you got the one proven guy of the football team or the offense, I should say, with Big Ben. And now he's got to prove it to us that his arm is healthy and he's healthy and he's still capable of playing at a high level. So, you know, that's where I think it stands right now. Some, some, some questions to answer on that offensive side of the ball in Pittsburgh. Yeah, running back a work in progress in large part because of injury. James Conner followed a promising 2018 with an injury-riddled 2019. The receiver position, they need to really get these guys to step up. The recent draft picks, Juju Smith-Schuster, not the same without Antonio Brown there to attract extra attention. I mean, Smith-Schuster had a phenomenal year in 2018. He was the team MVP. It was one of the reasons it all came to a head week 17 when Antonio Brown left the team because it had been 
disclosed within the organization that Juju Smith-Schuster was the team MVP. Antonio Brown was resentful of that and took off, and that was that. And last year, without Antonio, Juju, not nearly the same guy, and we'll see whether or not all these other guys can come in and get it done. What about the offensive line? One of your big concerns was when Mike Munchak left for the Denver Broncos, the offensive line was going to go the other way. And they won their Super Bowls last decade with historically bad offensive lines. Where does right. that line stand right now in your estimation? Yeah, well, I, you know, to, to your point with the last decade thing, that's why I think Big Ben deserves a little more credit than people give him sometimes because you're right. The offensive lines weren't special. He had to make a lot, of ha- a lot happen himself in the passing game. You know, the offensive line, still a really good pass-blocking offensive line. You know, yeah, they lost Ramon Foster. They got guys there to replace him, and then Wisniewski there. They signed him in free agency. He'll be able to do it. Tackle play still really good. But they're coming to the end of the shelf life for this offensive line to where they're going to have to start thinking about retooling it, rebuilding it, everybody getting up there in age a little bit, you know, pouncy at center. Hey, he's coming to the end here. I mean, not to say he's done, but he's, he's at the end of the prime of his career. So, I, you know, again, I think a, a big part that's missed from their football team last year, especially without Munchak, is, you know, the physical running game, Le'Veon Bell not being there, James Conner not being healthy. That was certainly an issue. But also to that point with the running game last year or a Juju Smith-Schuster, it's really hard to be successful when your quarterback is below average and nobody scares your pass game. And I think that was a big issue, too. So I still think the offensive line is good. I don't think it's great anymore. You know, two, three years ago, Mike, I would have gone, oh, this Pittsburgh O-line is one of the three, four best offensive lines in football. Now, you know, somewhere outside the top 10, right around the top 10, right around that area, but still good enough to win football games, certainly. Yeah, and Marquise Pouncey has been that cornerstone in the center of the offensive line, a, a a chain that really goes back decades for the Steelers, whether it was Jeff Harding's, Dermonte Dawson Hall of Famer, uh, Mike Webster Hall of Famer. I remember Ray Mansfield right. was the center of the Steelers, and he was an anchor there when I first became aware of football. Uh, one last Im- important point before we take our first break of the morning. Ben Roethlisberger has a reputation on social media for blocking everyone, everyone from his Twitter account. It's amazing how many people will pull up the Big Ben 7, and it's got an underscore right before it. And anyone out there now, go ahead and and do it and see. You you may be surprised by what you find. Twitter.com slash underscore Big Ben 7 now, he blames it all because it's an official verified account. It's his account. It's him. He says there's someone that he has that runs it. And I think this person spends all day and all night just going through the entire universe of Twitter accounts and arbitrarily blocking people because there are some people like me who deserve it who've been blocked. And there are others who are like, I don't even know who he is. And they've been blocked. It is one of the strangest <laughs> phenomena of all of social media. The countless accounts that have been blocked by Big Ben 7, Chris. Sources tell me that you have not yet been blocked. My goal through this segment is to get uh, yes. you blocked. So, hey, lady, who is responsible for Big Ben's Twitter account, please block C Sims QB, 2Ms QB. <laughs> She won't do that. Big Ben won't do that. He knows. I might say a little something here and there. I keep it real, but 
Big Ben knows that I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the history of the sport. He's a legend. He is. He's the first how first ballot Hall of Famer in my in my mind. I think he so really too. Is. I know. I think but, so too. Ah, uh, yeah, but you're just more of a jerk than me, so I understand them blocking you that over me. <laughs> I, I get that. You, you're a suck up. You're more of a suck up <laughs> yes, than me. That's I the am. truth. There. Teacher's pet. All Here's right. an apple, Big Ben. I like you so much. Uh, he doesn't eat apples. <laughs> no, no. Here's doesn't an apple pie, like Big Ben. Here's, Here's a an apple binder. pie, Big okay, Ben, yeah, with a gallon pie. of ice cream and a keg of <laughs> right. beer. Unblock me. All right, right. Uh, let's take a break. Yesterday, a, a guy who once played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Tony Dungy, was on the PFTPM podcast, and we talked about the proposed enhancements to the Rooney rule. You are going to want to hear what Coach Dungy thinks about the idea that if passed today will give teams draft pick boost if they hire minority coaches or general managers. We'll play that for you next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy joined me yesterday on the PFTPM podcast. I went down to my barn and hung out there where we have been doing the PFTPM podcast in recent weeks. And the big topic of discussion, the proposed enhancements to the Rooney rule, which will change the rule that's been on the books for 18 years. The rule on the books requires teams to interview at least one minority candidate for coaching and general manager jobs. This takes it a lot farther than that, actually rewarding teams that hire coaches and general managers who are minorities with boosted draft standing the year after the hire is made. It's been a controversial measure, and I wanted to get Coach Dungy's thoughts on it. Here is an extended clip from Monday's discussion with Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy. Give me your thoughts personally on whether this is the right move, whether it maybe doesn't go far enough, or whether it goes too far. Yeah, I, I think that this is definitely something that, that's been looked at and said, hey, we've got to do something drastic. Uh, in my mind, this is drastic. I don't personally think it's the right thing to do, but I think it should spur some uh, really consideration and some communication and conversation and people say, okay, this might not be it, but maybe we can do that. I, I just have never been in favor of rewarding people for doing the right thing and and so i think there's going to be some unintended consequences to me it's almost like the pass interference rule yeah we need to do something i don't know if this is exactly it we need to keep working until we find out what that best thing is to do i've talked to several uh african-american coaches in, in the league right now to get their response and here's there, there's three things that they're worried about number one how does this put me in my relationship with the other coaches that i work with and other white coaches are they thinking i'm getting an advantage now number two when that general manager or owner hires me is he hiring me because he thinks i'm the best person or is he hiring me to move his draft choice up a little bit uh and then the third thing is nobody feels like they want anything special or an advantage don't hire me and then say i'm going to give you more draft choices later on because you need help or, you know, and I know that's not the reason why the, the proposal is being put in. I know that's not, you know, what they're driving at, but that's still the end result. And, and so uh, there, there's some things I think the league needs to think about about this proposal. It's different from that inherently competitive 
32 teams, everyone wanting to draft as high as possible and get the best possible picks, and you are moving some down, moving some up. And also, and you're touching on one of the concerns that Lewis Riddick shared with Peter King in Football Morning in America, the idea that as you walk through the door, people may be viewing you differently. You're undermined before you even start the job because there's this sense that some may have that the only reason you're getting the job is because the team derives some tangible benefit from hiring a minority GM or coach. Yeah, and there, there is. I, I think the league is looking and saying, hey, punitive things haven't worked. Let's look at incentives. And maybe that's the right way to go, but I, I don't know if this is the right incentive. If you had a vote, it sounds like your vote would be no, which I think should speak volumes to anyone out there who has a vote on Tuesday on this proposal. I... When I looked at it, I didn't see how it would pass. A lot of people are telling me that it will. <laughs> I think if it does pass, it'll end up being like the pass interference uh, review rule. We'll see in, in a little while some some unintended consequences that will say, gosh, this, this might not be the best idea. That's Coach Tony Dungy. Some very candid thoughts on a proposal that will be voted on today by the league's 32 owners as they engage in a virtual meeting. It's their first meeting since the pandemic began. And just like with replay review for pass interference, Chris, I mean, we know that's going away. But without an in-person meeting, I think it's hard to have the right discussion as to a replacement for pass interference replay review. I'm not sure they can have the right discussion in a virtual setting for how best to handle the proposed changes to the Rooney rule. And obviously this is the most controversial, the idea that there is a tangible draft pick benefit to making an actual hire, not just complying with the rule and and interviewing a minority candidate, but taking it that step farther. And if Coach Dungy's opposed to it, folks, I think that it makes sense for the owners to think twice and three times and maybe four times before voting for this. And the problem is, there is a, a sense, Chris, that they're pushing hard. Somebody's pushing hard, whether it's a league office, whether it's a group of owners. There's a determination to get this passed. A lot of lobbying is happening to get it passed. And I, I hope everyone takes a step back and listen to what Coach Dungy had to say before making their final decision. I, I agree. You know, first off, I agree with everything Tony Dungy said. I mean, I really do. He's so smart. He's so well thought out. You know, and the biggest point – I just feel like it would diminish the qualifications of some African-American coaches who would be a head coach of an NFL team. Yeah, you'd have the haters of the world out there. Oh, he wouldn't be a head coach if it weren't for the fact that they got a better draft pick or all that. Let alone, I think it is very real that it will cause resentment in the NFL coaching world. You know, to me, again, and there is a huge issue here. We know that. I mean, the fact that to me, hey, come on, the fact that Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach after it's been the best offense in football for two years in a row just speaks volumes to where we are at in this league. There is a color problem in the coaching world, in the NFL. There is no doubt. It's been entrenched in white world for a long, long time. And I don't mean that in a racist sense. I just mean in the fact that, hey, you know, it, it, the NFL, it's got a lot of old school white businessmen, front office men, coaches. They bring their families or other people they know that they're connected with into the football organization, into the football world. That takes up more spots for maybe other young black African-American men that are qualified. To me, Mike, this is where it has to start. And just in my experience in coaching and being around it, it has to start at the bottom in the NFL. Like, oh, hey, 
Hey, uh, the New York Giants are hiring a quality control. Oh, he's white? Okay, he's white. Then we have to hire a black quality control coach too. Oh, we're hiring a scouting assistant. You know, hey, it's uh, Mr. Kraft's lawyer's son because we're bringing him in because that's what the whole league is full of, these people that are connected to the rich and powerful of the league. Oh, we're bringing him in. Okay, well, we also have to bring in a young African-American scouting assistant. It has to start funneling from the bottom to me instead of just looking to make big-time hires at the head coaching position. And I think, you know, that's to me the one area jumps out. Uh, I don't think you can force organizations or a business owner to hire somebody uh, because of the skin color or make it not look so good because of the, the draft pick compensation. Well, I, I agree with you. I, and, and, and it is a problem that requires much deeper thought and discussion than simply dangling a carrot. See, the problem is they've tried the stick for 18 years. They've tried the punishment, the thou shalt. You must do right. the interviews. And we have seen teams bend over backwards to check the box. It's not about actually expanding the search. It's not about slowing it down. That's one of the things Coach Dungy has preached. And there could be further changes to the hiring process that will force owners to slow it down. That's also part of what Coach Dungy spoke about yesterday, and I've heard that separately, that what we've heard about as it relates to this proposal that's received so much of the discussion is just, just a sliver of what else may be coming and slowing down the process may be part of it and requiring owners to understand exactly what they're looking for. Coach Dungy spent time talking about how there's value in having owners develop a list of factors. What are you looking for? And maybe the guy you have has all the things you're looking for. Maybe you don't even need to make a change. If you do need to make a change, be guided by the factors, not by, oh, this guy won a Super Bowl five years ago and he's available. This is the guy I want. And we've seen so many times, Chris, where an owner gets smitten with a candidate months before the season ends, like Dan Snyder with Mike Shanahan. This is the guy I have to hire. This is the guy I have to hire. There's no way you're going to have a diverse, inclusive search when the owner decides months before the season has concluded that this is the guy he's going to hire. That's right. I mean, that's where it really gets tricky. And I think, again, those are the points why I think it could cause a lot of resentment in the coaching world and really put African-American coaches who are very qualified to be a head coach, really put them in a tough spot to where, like what Coach Dungy said, you know, people are going to be looking at them at the corner of their eye, you know, as they walk in. Did he really earn this? Or is he getting it because of, you know, some rule or whatever it may be? You know, to me, this is a, a systemic issue. You know, and again, it's not, it's not about racism or anything, racism or anything about that. Uh, it might be a little, but I just think it's such a – you know, a culture of family and connections and things like that. And the culture, yeah, if you go back to the history of the NFL, of course, is more white than black. But, you know, again, look at all the coaches and their family and their sons that are involved in the NFL all over the place. You know, and of course, yes, coaches, it, it was a more of a, a white society in the 70s and 80s. So now those coaches who got their sons and other people in their family involved in it, of course, they're white to go along with it. And that just doesn't give any room for growth there. That's, to me, the biggest issue I see. You know, it has become a sport that is very popular. It's become very political. And it's become more about who you know instead of what you know. And that is a real issue to me. And it bothers me, Mike. You know, I see it anywhere I go to a building and training camp. Oh, how did that kid get a job? 
oh, his friends with the dad, you know, his dad's friends with the owner, his dad's friends with the GM. Has he ever played football? Has he ever even been involved in anything football? No, he's not. But now he's running the scouting department. Whoa, okay. So that to me is one of the biggest issues that you have to start from the bottom and start grooming some diversity there. And then I think you'll start to see more hires uh, of color and African-American coaches. Well, and here's the other reality, too. As there is an increased representation of minority coaches and GMs, the cronyism and the nepotism is going to swing the other way as well. I don't think you can get rid of the cronyism and the nepotism, but you can can. ensure that for for the big hires, there is a more careful, deliberate process. And there is part of this proposal aimed at at ensuring that there is a better pipeline of minority candidates. And that speaks to what you're saying at the bottom of the industry as guys are entering and, and females are now entering, are the opportunities there to grow and develop and be groomed to become a coach? That's the one thing folks lose sight of. A lot of the people who eventually become head coaches have been groomed to become head coaches. Who gets chosen? Who stands out from that crowd of the young coaches as somebody that's like, ah, Ah, this is the person who's going to be groomed. You need to be in that group to have a chance to be somebody who stands out and gets put on that track to becoming a head coach. So th- these are these are issues that require further thought, further discussion, further deliberation. And that's one of my big takeaways as we get ready for this meeting today that the owners will be conducting virtually. The hiring cycle doesn't begin tomorrow, folks. There's no reason to adopt these rules now. You know, anytime there is a a, a proposal that has been fast-tracked and they're trying to jam it through, that tells me that somebody doesn't want everyone to understand all the issues. They just want what they want. We got to jam this through. Well, how about we just press pause on it and say, ain't nobody hiring a head coach today or tomorrow or next week, barring some dramatic turn of events that we would not anticipate as part of the normal hiring process. We have months to figure out what the rules will be for the next hiring process. Why in the world does this proposal have to get pushed through today if there are voices like Tony Dungy's who are lining up against it? All right, let's take a break. By the way, the full podcast available at the PFTPM podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and it's available on YouTube, and we'll be dropping links to the audio and the video at profootballtalk.com. All right, football tough guys like to say if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. We're going to look at some situations where maybe they've gotten better, maybe they've gotten worse, maybe they stayed the same, which technically means you've gotten worse because you haven't gotten better. We'll try to get better as well. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Plenty of teams have had some changes at key positions this year, and Scott McLuhan, the former 49ers and Washington GM, who had a hand in drafting both Jace, Joe Staley and Trent Williams, who will succeed Joe Staley in San Francisco. McLuhan said Joe Staley's a really good tackle, don't get me wrong, but he ain't Trent Williams. He hasn't been Trent Williams. And won't be Trent Williams when Trent's career is over and you compare them. So a guy who would know both players very well sees a major upgrade at the left tackle position for the San Francisco 49ers. I still don't know how they pulled that off, Chris. I, of all the things that your guy Kyle Shanahan has accomplished in his time as a head coach and assistant coach, somehow ending up being the guy who got Trent Williams away from Washington and Dan Snyder the one owner that does not want to do business with Kyle Shanahan. How in the hell they pulled that off, I will never understand. 
I, I don't know either. You're right. I was as uh, shocked as anybody out there when it when it became final that, he you know, Trent Williams is going to San Francisco. But, you know, it's a good lesson to show you it's a player's league. And if you're a coach, you can never forget about that. And I think the really good coaches realize that and realize it's very important to have good relationships with those guys because one day down the road, you know, you might be in that type of situation where the player wants – Oh, I want out of a place and I want to go with that guy because I trust him and I know him and I understand what he's about, right? We saw that with Aqib Tlaib a few years ago. He only wanted to go to the Rams and the Patriots because that's what he knows. And that's the benefit of, you know, being a player's coach to a degree and being open and true to, to those guys. It, it, it came back to help a guy like Kyle Shanahan. And to his credit, Trent Williams found a way to work and he found a way to slam the door to other potential destinations by, I think, feigning the idea that he wanted a heck of a lot more money than he really does and that he wanted it as he entered a new team. Here he is in San Francisco a month after the fact. Still no new contract, no problem, no issues, yeah. no worries. Yeah. He's happy being where he is. All right, so let's play a little better, worse, or the same for some of these offseason upgrades or not that teams have made. And it sounds like we both agree with Joe Staley out and Trent Williams in with the 49ers. That's definitely an upgrade. It, it is. It's better. Yes. You know, and again, I, we both respect Joe Staley. We realize the great player he is. But, you know, Mike, this is Trent Williams. This is one of these guys that ever since this, these problems have a, a, arose in Washington, you've heard me say this is special left tackle. This is a first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle. He is that type of guy. You know, so I really kind of agree with everything Scott McLuhan said in his little quote. You know, Williams, when healthy and hitting on all cylinders, he's the best left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think it is a major upgrade for the uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And, and another reason to think that they're going to pick up right where they left off last year as one of the dominant teams in the NFC. All right, Cowboys defensive line. Chris, you've been critical of the defensive performance last year by the Cowboys. Offense good. Defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain for a team that went 8-8. Eight and eight. Michael Bennett, Malik Collins, and Robert Quinn are out. Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe, Alden Smith, subject to reinstatement by the commissioner, is in. Do you see that as better, same, or worse? I, you know, it, this is a close one. I think I'm going to stay around. I'm going to go with same here. I am. You know, first off, uh, the, the key player that was lost there and the biggest name on that list is Robert Quinn. I mean, Robert Quinn is a special edge pass rusher. The Cowboys lost him. You're not going to say like tick for tack, like Alden Smith for Robert Quinn. No, definitely not. Now, listen, with Michael Bennett and Malik Collins, you know, getting Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe in there, you know, Michael Bennett, it's towards the end of his career. I, I'm not so sure it's not done. If not, we don't see, maybe we see one more year, you know, Malik Collins, good, not great. So you know, I don't know if there was – I think they might have improved the interior part of the D-line, but got worse on the edge there, and that's why I'm going to say the same. Yeah, you know, and for me, the wild card in all of this is Alden Smith, whose reinstatement yeah, bid right. is still pending. Um, Stephen Jones told me a week and a half ago that Alden Smith had had his meeting with the commissioner, so we wait. And, and this is one of the problems I have with the reinstatement process. There's no timeline. There's no standards. The commissioner has full discretion, and the commissioner can, can decide whenever he wants to decide. They also have Randy Gregory caught up in the reinstatement effort as well. But uh, if Alden Smith if Alden Smith is, I don't know, 75% of the, the – and, and, and we know it's five years. Right? He's probably not going to be 75% of what he was five years ago. But the guy was so damn good, 
that if they can get him back and if they can coax anything out of him like what we saw early in his career, and he was drafted in 2011. I mean, it's not like it's 15 years ago. I mean, the guy should still have some gas in the tank physically. They get him into shape. My goodness, it could be better. I think that that, to me, the final verdict hinges on can they get Alden Smith back and will he be uh, the guy anywhere close to what he was. All right, the Houston Texans. Out are receiver DeAndre Hopkins and running back Carlos Hyde. In, receiver Randall Cobb, receiver Brandon Cooks, and running back David Johnson. Better or worse are the same? Well, it's, it's a two-for-three swap here, right? And, you know, because of that third extra player, I'll say the same. I mean, to me, it's like Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb are almost equal to a one DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, that's really kind of the way I look at it to a degree. Carlos Hyde, who was nice to that football team last year, you know, no, he's not as talented as David Johnson when David Johnson's healthy. Now, that's a big question there. So I'm saying the same again here. Uh, this is, it's another tough one. I mean, it really is. But I think when I look at Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks uh, for DeAndre Hopkins, I think two equals one there. And I like the potential of David Johnson and how he'll work in that offense. And he's certainly a more talented player than Carlos Hyde. The injury thing I know is a question mark. No doubt about it. But I'm going to say the same one more time. I'm not buying your two equals one thing unless you're allowed to have 12 guys on the field when Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb line up because DeAndre Hopkins is that guy who basically gives you 12 guys on the field because you got to use two guys to stop him. And it opens it up for everyone else between Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb. I don't know that I'm going to be as afraid of the Texans offense as I was afraid of it when DeAndre Hopkins was there. I'll do respect to Brandon Cooks. I mean, the guy's been hot potatoed around the league for first round you. pick, first round pick, first round pick. Now, oh, oh God, it's only a second round pick now or whatever it was that the Texans gave up to get him. Um, I, I'm concerned about Cook's health. I'm concerned about his effectiveness. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. No, uh, he's and not. I know D- Dave, David Johnson, David Johnson, if we get the guy from three years ago, then maybe it's close to being the same. But I think that the losing Hopkins is too big. I think they're going to be worse. All right. The, 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 the big thing is, though, it might be a positive in that Deshaun Watson and not every big moment's just looking at one guy. The fact that the de- defense might have to worry about more people that's kind of why I said it. But, I mean, listen, everything you else you said, you're, not, you're right. No one's messing with Hopkins. So, I, I get that. He's clearly better than anybody there. But I do think it's going to make the offense a little more versatile and tough to pin your ears into one guy getting the ball. I don't know. If, if your kids yeah, had we'll a security see. blanket when they were little and you took it away, it, it wasn't the easiest adjustment in the world. And they don't have a security blanket now for Deshaun Watson. All right, last one real quick. Vikings, Stephon Diggs out, Justin Jefferson in. Oh, I'm going to say worse. I love Justin Jefferson. I do. But I mean, I got to see him play in the NFL before I start to say it's going to be better than Stephon Diggs. I mean, Stephon Diggs is one of the better receivers in all of football. We know what he can do in the NFL. He's a difference maker. You know, Justin Jefferson, I expect him to be. I think he is. He's not exactly the same type of player as Stephon Diggs, but I'm not going to anoint him king over Stephon Diggs until I see him do it on some Sundays first, no matter how much I love this kid coming out of college. And I agree with you. We have to see him prove himself. It is a step back. And and it's going to fall on other guys, I think, to pick up the slack while Justin Jefferson learns the ropes. Irv Smith Jr., the tight end from Alabama last year that was a second-round pick of the Vikings, he's a guy to keep an eye on. They expect big things from him. Move him out to the slot. Let him make some some uh, some things happen that way. Let's take a break. An all-pro from an NFC West team was once a game away from the Super Bowl. He says this year's team 
is even better than that one. We'll take that up next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. This is probably the best football team I've been a part of on paper. You know, just what we've been able to add to this team this year, what the front office hasn't been able to accomplish this offseason due to not being able to see guys and not able to be around. It's been second to none. I mean, unbelievable. That's Patrick Peterson, Cardinals defensive back from the Hyper Ice podcast. I, I assume Hyper Ice is not a product that will get you suspended six games, but that's a different issue altogether. Chris, Chris, I'm waiting for a laugh. Nothing? Not even a courtesy <laughs> no, laugh? I got, you. I got you. I got you. I, I went there just for you. I, <laughs> I did you. the. I did the. I did the math in my head. Like, is it worth upsetting Patrick Peterson? I mean, bottom line is he took a PED and a masking agent to cover up the PED. It wasn't good enough because the masking agent came back positive. The PED was detected in six-game suspension. All right. But, Pat, but the point is, Patrick Peterson says that uh, this team on paper is better than any team he's been on. He's been around since 2011. They went to the NFC Championship game in 2015. Do you agree with what Patrick Peterson is saying? I, I can't agree with that. No, not quite yet. You know, again, there, there's some things to like about this team, what you're seeing on paper. There's some excitement. I understand the potential, you know, with Kyler Murray and Isaiah Simmons, you know, getting him Devondre Campbell, a nice addition and free agency at linebacker. You know, of course, they got Chandler Jones and all that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, of course. Yes, I know. Going there, that's the big the big thrill. So I don't think all, he's fifth down on the list. Well, I think he gets I, mentioned right, earlier. Right. Well, we just, we just talked about him in the prior segment so much. I was kind of just trying to hit on some other topics here. But either way, right. yes, the team has improved. But I'm not going to say it's as good on paper as the 2015 Arizona Cardinals team that went to an NFC championship game and had some proven commodities, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I'm not going to say this team's better on paper when it was the worst defense in football last year. So, yes, I like what Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury are doing. Uh, they're going on the right track, but I don't think they're quite that good yet. When they made it to the NFC championship game in 2015, they were not dealing with a division that was top to bottom incredible. And I don't want to say incredible because there are some questions about the Rams, but uh, the 49ers, the Seahawks, uh, the Rams, not that far removed from the Super Bowl. It's going to be tough for the Cardinals yeah. to emerge from that pack. All right, we'll take a break. We'll have more PFT Live for you coming right after this. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.